Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Well, we're in week two of our Hope Dealers series, and uh, last week we began with a message in this series entitled Hope in the Dirt, and we talked about how God works through all the stuff that's going on in our lives to bring about His purpose. Uh, We talked about how DIRT was an acronym for He uses disappointments, he uses insecurities, he uses rejection, and he uses trouble to bring about good. And although we may not understand how he does it, because we know who it is that is doing the work, we can find hope. And so our world right now is filled with a sense of dread, a sense of hopelessness. Would you agree with that? Uh, One man said that you could live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air but only about four seconds without hope. Now, I don't know how scientific his study was, but the reality is this. The darkness or the hopelessness that we feel in our world today is not a result of food shortage. It's not a result of insufficient clean water. It's not a result of the quality of our air. But it is the result of the lack of voices that are speaking and providing hope in the midst of hopeless times. All around we see the results, addictions to opioids, other narcotics are at an all-time high as people search for some relief, even if it's momentary, for the feelings of hopelessness. Gender identity issues, body issues, psychological and emotional trauma, faith deconstruction, even the acknowledgement of church trauma, it all has brought about a sense of hopelessness. And the church used to be a place where people found hope. But because of the abuses of some, many now have abandoned the church as a place of hope. And I can't imagine that, but that's the truth. In the words of James, the brother of Jesus, these things ought not to be. We as Christ followers ought to be the most hopeful people in the world. If it's not, it's not sufficient, though, that we have hope. It is also ought to be the first, uh, we also ought, ought to be the first people to extend hope. Uh, to provide hope, to deal in this commodity that our world desperately needs, hope. And so that's why we're talking about hope for these few weeks. Uh, We can't get caught up in the hopelessness of the world or its system. We must instead be dealers of hope. We must be people that are quick to share hope, ready to give an account for the hope, the Bible says, that lies within us, ready to share that hope with others, ready to lead people to an understanding that in spite of everything that's going on in our world, there is hope. After all, Jesus was the embodiment of hope. If, if we are his followers, then we also must bring hope to the hopeless as he did. Bring healing to the hurting. Bring freedom to the captive. Bring peace to those in chaos. And let me just say up front today, my wife has an amazing t-shirt. It says, Jesus and therapy. Right? All of us sometimes need some help, some hope, and sometimes we need to recognize that we don't always just get it at church. Sometimes there are other avenues that we can get hope as well. Uh, We need to yank the mask, the cover, the stigma over uh, getting help with mental health. Uh, I mentioned last week that we're in a mental health crisis in our country, 
And much of it is because of the stigma we have placed on counseling and psychological therapy. Uh, the reality is that as bad as the stigma is in the world about those things, sometimes it's even worse in the church. Uh, if you had cancer, you'd go to an oncologist. If you had heart disease, you'd go to a cardiologist. If you had breathing problems, you'd go to a pulmonologist. You'd listen to what they say. You'd take whatever meds they recommend. But whenever our brains begin to have health issues, somehow our answer is that we need to pray more or have more faith or get closer to God. And I just, we just sing about getting closer to God. And I'm all for those things. But sometimes we need to go ahead and just jerk the cover off the idea that therapy couldn't help you as well. Uh, realize that everybody could benefit at some point from talking to somebody. After all, Isaiah said, and this is what bothers me the most about this whole subject, Isaiah said that our Savior would be a counselor. And then when people from his kingdom go to counseling, we think that's somehow wrong. Right? If he is our counselor, it would make sense that some of his children might go into the same field. Just saying. Right? And so we need to jerk the cover off and let people remember that it's okay to sometimes not be okay, and it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm feeling a little hopeless. I could use some hope. And uh, sometimes I get that from God. There's no question. Sometimes I get that from the man of God, and we thank God for them. Sometimes we get it from a close friend who speaks words of life into our life. And sometimes I get it from sitting in a room talking to somebody who listens to me and asks me questions to guide me to a place where I find hope. So however you get it, I want you to know today there is hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can find that hope if you're willing to be submitted to him and willing to search for hope in the ways that God brings it to your life. Which leads me to really to the words of the Apostle Paul this morning. They're found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abound through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. In other words, Paul says everything we go through serves a purpose. Every pain has a point. Every pain has purpose. God never wastes a hurt. I said it last week. If you've been going through something, God will use it if you'll surrender it to him and allow him to use it. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firm because we know, everybody say we know. That just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, hey, our hope was challenged. I felt despair to the point of death. The New Living Translation says it this way in verse 8 and 9. It says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we had expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now notice verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril 
and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. On him, we have set our hope. Week two of Hope Dealers, we're simply titling it, The Reason for My Hope. Paul said, we went through some stuff. We received the sentence of death. But that happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope. I want to share with you a little bit about my friend Jesus today. I want to share with you the reason for my hope. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the people of God who've come today to receive your word. I ask you to challenge us, Lord. I ask you to help us to be different. Help us to leave here with hope in our heart, a pep in our step to realize, God, that you are with us and that you are for us, that you will never leave us, that you are beside us and with us and in us. And there's no place we can go that we can't experience your presence. We ask you, Lord, today to go with us through the remainder of this service. Allow your presence to touch the people of God that are here today. And Lord, I'm praying for that one person who's walked in the door today who may be hurting, who may be feeling alone, who may be hungry for you. And I'm asking that you would come alongside them right now and allow them to begin to experience your presence in a way they never dreamed possible. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that our world's a little bit crazy right now. Um, I think everyone in here would agree that there's a lot going on. A lot of what feels like turmoil in our world. People constantly arguing, bickering back and forth. Nobody seems to be able to agree on anything. And that's just when you're trying to decide where you want to go to lunch today. Go ahead. It's, you're in church, but you can laugh. It's funny. Because you know it's true. No question, if we were to solely place our focus on the condition of the world that we live in, the voices of negativity and the propagation of value systems that may be contrary to our, our own, you could certainly find yourself starting to wonder what and how and when and where is God in all of it. You could work yourself into a frantic tizzy and begin to feel as if you need to take action, to do something. To, before you know, you're whipped into a frenzy that causes you to become a keyboard warrior and make, us really, make some really negative comments on Facebook and video yourself saying something really crazy on TikTok and then as people disagree with you, you get angrier, or as people agree with you, you become extremely self-righteous and self-absorbed as your likes go up and you think, I sure set them straight, or I told them, ha ha, look how many people agree with me. And all the while, you just become another voice in the overwhelming noise that is contributing to the hopelessness being pervaded in our world. It's really time for the people of God to be purveyors of hope. It's time that we rise and begin to declare the greatness of our God, the unending love of our God, the powerful grace of our God, the unending mercy of our God, the unfathomable depths of the forgiveness of our God, the hope that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, our world has a lot of stuff wrong in it, but I'm not focused on that. My eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. The Bible says setting my eyes or setting my focus on the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm setting my eyes above the noise. I'm setting my eyes above the cares of this world. And I'm focused on the reason for my hope today. I'm focused on Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I have concerns. I am aware that things that are happening around us, I'm aware of the negative influences and the results of evil that are all around us in our world. But I'm also aware that the God who never slumbers or sleeps, the God who's got the world in his hands, he didn't drop the ball. He didn't isn't caught unaware or surprised. He knew 
what we would be facing today, and he doesn't get worried. That's why he's the reason for my hope. Perhaps God's plan is that in the darkest of the night, the people that are on the earth that serve him, his church will rise and be the church, the beacon of light set upon a hill, the salt that doesn't lose its savor, the, the light that pierces into the darkness. Perhaps when things seem hopeless, his plan is for the church to provide the hope that the world needs the most. Perhaps when things are at their worst, he's looking for the church to be at its best. Not consumed by the cares of the culture around us, but impacting the culture with the love of Jesus Christ that so many have never experienced and need so desperately. My hope is in the one who's not swayed by popular opinion today, the one who doesn't let culture dictate his response, the one who doesn't care about your followers on Twitter, the gram, or Facebook, uh, the one that when the world around us is shaking incessantly, he is unmovable, unshakable, full of mercy, grace, truth, and love. He is the reason that in anxious times I have hope. The reason my hope is secure, I have built my hope on Jesus Christ, and he's not swayed by us or our opinions. This morning I thought, you know, Charlotte, our hope is, is secure today. Our hope, you know, a lot of times we can even look at the next generation and be kind of discouraged, right? Oh, my goodness, these kids today, oh. But I looked on the platform this morning, and I saw Marissa singing, and I saw Samantha playing, and I saw Jess singing, and uh, my son up here playing the keyboard, and I thought, you know what, Lord? These are kids who are raised on the pews of this church. Our future is secure and great kids that are coming up to love Jesus. Jesus is doing a work in their life, and I have hope because of it. My hope is in the one who's not swayed by the stuff going on in our world, but he's, putting his, he's depositing his presence in people that are making an impact. He's the reason that I have hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is in Jesus today because on him I stand. Everything else you can try to stand on is not nearly as secure. And the Bible uh, tells us over and over again that when we build on the rock, it lasts. And when we build on sand, it doesn't. Everything else other than him is sinking sand. I know things aren't the way I want them in our world. I know things aren't the way you want them in our world. They aren't the way I would have designed it. I would not have done it the way it's been done. But I refuse to be hopeless I refuse to be worried, nervous, or afraid. I know who's got it all in the palm of his hand, and my hope is in him. We live in a world where opinions are everywhere. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one, right? Opinions are everywhere, but truth is hard to find. We live in an information age, yet we find people are starving for truth. Which really brings me to my text this morning. Believe it or not, Paul was dealing with something very similar. I know 2,000 years ago, you can't imagine that they would have the same kind of issues in their world, but while the issues may not be exactly the same, the principles that were guiding those issues are. And believe it or not, Paul was dealing with something very similar. He started a church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys, and he set people up there to oversee the work. And then he went and started churches in other places, eventually crisscrossing the entire known world, uh, starting churches with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he even spent time in prison in Jerusalem and in Rome for a long while because of his message. And he gets word from Corinth about how people are talking. People are stirring up trouble against him. 
And these aren't just people. Many times they were the leaders and preachers in the church at Corinth. And the church there had come together, and they had taken up a collection to be a blessing to Paul to aid with his needs. And there were some who began to discredit that and say, hey, Paul doesn't need that as bad as you think he does, and began to talk bad against the apostle Paul, even going so far as to say he hadn't suffered as much as what they had been led to believe. And they were using the opportunity of Paul's absence to run a smear campaign against Paul, trying to discredit him and trying to make people think that the things that Paul had shared in their life, the message of hope and the message of Calvary, that somehow that wasn't the same because they were discrediting Paul. And so Paul writes to put the record straight, to let them know the real story. How many of you know today it really makes a difference where you get your information from? If your primary source for all your information is social media, it's tough. Because on your news feed, lies and truth have the same amount of space. One doesn't stand out as being any different. And so many times we spout out what we've read as if it's truth, when really it's just more noise that clogs the modern landscape. It matters where you get your information from. It's safe to assume that nearly everything we get is either diluted or polluted. It's either watered down, that's diluted, or it's added to, that's polluted. So it's hard to know what to trust. So Paul was frustrated, and he writes this letter to the church at Corinth. And to me, you can always tell how frustrated Paul is by how long his intro is, right? Sometimes... Paul is long and flowery, like, you know, he's like sitting on a beach somewhere, everything is great, life is good. I, Paul, called of God to be your servant. By him I move and I live and I came to your city and I started a church because I love you people and God is rich in mercy and he showered me with grace and peace that I might be able to share it with you and I just want to bless you so much, blah, 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 blah. But then when Paul's frustrated... It's more like, I, Paul, servant of Jesus, not because you called me, but because he did. <laughs> I can't believe you guys are acting this way, right? I mean, that, that's, you can tell. And Paul doesn't waste any time. He just jumps right in, man. He just, and I was talking to someone before service today. I was like, sometimes you can tell Paul is like relaxed, and sometimes he's got the shotgun out, right? He's, and that's kind of how he starts 2 Corinthians. By verse 3, Paul has launched in. He was frustrated. He wanted to give them the information from the horse's mouth. He wanted them to know they'd been getting wrong information, and he wanted to give them the right. And he wanted the info to come straight from him. And I'm sure people in Paul's mind had been talking, and I'm sure they'd heard things. And so Paul was like, I know people have said some stuff, but these things, uh, in particular, they've talked about how things haven't been as tough on me as I, as I may have led on to believe. And I know Luke, he wrote in his book, the book of Acts, that I was shipwrecked and I floated on the tri on uh, on a piece of on a, on a you know nice floaty in the ocean over to the tropical paradise known as Malta, and I got hit by a snake, but I shook it off into the fire, and everything was great. But we were in the water for a long time, and I was hanging on to a piece of wood, and Malta is a prisoner colony where bad people are sent, and I may have acted confident, but inside I was scared, and when the snake bit me, it was a really big snake. And he had sharp teeth, and I'm telling you, it was not easy to go through all those things, as some may have said. Notice his words. Verse 3, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, 
so also our comforts abound through Christ. In other words, I'm not getting comfort from anybody else. My comfort comes from Christ. I'm suffering for Christ, but because I've suffered for Christ and got comfort from Christ, I'm going I'm to give comfort to you because Christ has been my comfort. Verse 6, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If I go through stuff, you are blessed because guess what? I'm going to be able to comfort you because I've been through it. That's what Paul is saying. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance for the same sufferings we suffer. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Now, it's almost as if Paul is saying, okay, got all that out the way, all the stuff I've been through, it works out good for you because I go through it so God can teach me stuff, then I can share it with you, just so you know. Now, then he gets to the real issue, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. The idea there, Paul's saying, we don't want you to be uninformed. This idea of being uninformed or ignorant, it's a tough concept. Various versions of the Bible disagree as to which word is more appropriate. Ignorant, unaware, uninformed. You read different versions, you'll say, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be unaware. We don't want you to be uninformed. But what it really means is that in spite of all the information that you have heard, all the information that you have received from all the sources that you may have tried to gain information from, in spite of all the blogs you read, the TikTok videos you watched, all the posts you may have seen, what you've heard is not in fact really what happened because they had not heard it from the source, Paul. So he doesn't want them to spread misinformation or have them believe a lie. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of the truth. And just being sidetracked for a moment, did you know that all ignorance is not equal? There are different levels of dumb. Just are, I'm just being honest. So there's one level that's innocent ignorance, right? They just don't know because they don't know. There have been times as a dad when my children were younger, and if you've got young children, you'll understand. I've been so mad because people began to share information with my children that was not theirs to share. They may have come home with information about stuff that some well-meaning older young person or even worse, a young adult decided to share with them, and suddenly... My daughter or son was living in blissful ignorance for a few more days before they had to be exposed to all that is impure and unrighteous in the world. And suddenly, crash, they were shocked by all this stuff, shocking them out of their innocent ignorance. And I would be so mad. One instance I can share when Jordan was probably in kindergarten or first grade. He's 25 now, so this was a long time ago. But he was attending Landmark Christian School, and he came home from school one day, and this was our conversation. Dad, you aren't going to believe this. A boy in my class, he said a cuss word today. I said, really? Are you sure? I mean, I pay a lot of money for you to go to that Christian school. Did the teacher say anything? I don't think she knew about it, but he said it. He said the S word. I was like, really? Wow. But then I was like, I don't even know if Jordan knows the S word. <clears throat> so I said, well, what did he say? I can't say it, Dad. It's bad. So I said, it's okay. You have to know Jordan was a rule follower, right? I mean, if he knew the rules, as long as he knew the rules, he's going to follow. So I had to let him know it was okay. It's okay, son. You can tell me. I just need to know what he said. want to make sure you heard right. Okay, Dad. He said, shh. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, he really does know. He said, shut up. 
I have never been so happy that we taught our kids and we didn't say bad words at our house and that my son had some innocent ignorance. You let your kids leave their childhood as long as possible. <clears throat> if they mispronounce words or say funny things like that, you don't have to straighten them out. I didn't turn and say, no, son, that's not the S word. Let me tell you the S word. Ah, you let them live out their innocent ignorance, okay? Now, if they're 25, won't get a job, and they live in your basement and play video games all day, it might be time to teach their ignorance a thing or two. <clears throat> that's for free. <laughs> and if you're a parent here and you have one of those, you can blame me when you kick them out and tell them go get a job. There's another type of ignorance. There's indifferent ignorance, right? Those are folks who choose to bury their head in the sand and refuse to acknowledge that there are real issues going on in the world. They are just indifferent. Well, what do I care? They're going to do what they want to do. It doesn't matter if I have an opinion. They got it all figured out the way they want it anyway. It ain't going to matter. Besides, I'm waiting on the eastern sky to split and the Savior to come riding in on a white horse and slaughter all the people who don't agree with me and I'm going to reign for a thousand years from my cabin in the woods. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know how ignorant people look like that talk, that make Christians look really ignorant when they talk like that? And you can guarantee that one of them will be on channel six. <laughs> but even worse than the indifferent ignorant people are the confident ignorant people. <clears throat> they might not have a clue, but they are never in doubt. <laughs> they think they know everything about something that most of the time they know nothing about. And they will blather on and on incessantly, ensuring that you have heard them, for they will grow louder and louder, and usually they have no self-awareness and don't realize that others have completely disregarded everything they've said over the last 30 minutes. Did you know that a large part of maturity is the discovery that you know that you don't know what you don't know? I learned a long time ago that if I don't know, it's better to keep my mouth shut than to blather on and on. People think I'm smart, but I'm not. I just know how to keep my mouth shut. I mean, Proverbs tell us that a fool utters his whole mind. Some of us need to learn that a broken clock is still right twice a day. You can be right without even trying sometimes if you just keep your mouth shut. Sometimes you can look real smart and not have a clue if you just learn to keep your mouth shut. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant or misinformed. I don't want you to think that you know when you don't really know. And the only reason you think you know is because you heard so-and-so say such-and-such -such about my time in Asia. Let me tell you, you don't know because you weren't there, so let me set the record straight. <clears throat> I want you to know why I have hope in Christ today. Because it didn't come easy. It didn't. It was hard. Paul's hope came with a price. Notice it again. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Then notice verse 10 again. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril... And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that, we will that he will continue to deliver us. We love verse 10, right? We love that. It's exciting. He delivered us. He'll deliver us again. Hallelujah. We've set our hope that he's going to continue to deliver us. My hope is fixed on the fact that he has, he is, he will do it again, right? That's exciting. 
But you can only have that hope, you can only get really excited about his deliverance if you know. If you know what? If you know what Paul went through. If you know what he's been comforted in and delivered from. And sometimes, I'm telling you, we get so jacked up about the delivering power of God, but we've never been delivered from anything. But you talk to one of those old-time saints who's been through the wars, and when they stand and say, hey, he did it for me then, he can do it again, you can feel your faith begin to rise. Why? Because they've been through it, and they know what it was like, and they don't have to be ignorant about it. They can tell you straight up, I've been through the wars. I know what it was like. I know what it was like to be down, and I know what it was like to rely on Jesus, and he came through for me. So many people run around declaring that God is merciful, and God is kind, and God is good, and God can deliver you from anything. But their bank account has never been less than full, and they've never had to face a tough time in their life, and everything's been easy and handed to them. Paul said, we thought we had a death sentence. We were like death. We knew it was over. Our suffering was great. Don't be ignorant. This was great persecution. But my hope is established, and the reason for my hope is the fact that he delivered me then, and he will deliver me again. Don't get it messed up today. God is great. There's nobody like him. My hope is in him and him alone. But you can't declare his ability to deliver, his ability to get you through, his ability to help you when all is falling and failing unless you've established your hope on him alone. And you don't get there until you face some battles, until you've been through some wars, until you stare death in the face and you recognize, as Paul did, that these things happen so that my reliance would not be on me and my ability, but on God and God alone. You don't understand the mercy of God until you've experienced the mercy of God. I can tell you personally, I didn't understand. I talked about the mercy of God. I preached about the mercy of God. I didn't understand the mercy of God until I had to experience the mercy of God. And when God was merciful to me and I recognized my need for his mercy, all of a sudden I could talk about the mercy of God and understand that my hope is in the fact that he is merciful to me and his mercies are renewed every morning and every day I wake up in need of his mercy and it's always there. You don't understand God's ability to deliver until you've been locked up and couldn't find your way out of a situation. I promise you, Peter thought he knew about God's ability to deliver. But when the jail doors flew open and the angels guided him out of prison, then he could testify of his hope and the power of God's deliverance. This world is unstable. Yes, it is. Don't worry. I'm not ignorant of that fact. But my confidence is established. I'm not confident in something I don't know about. I'm confident that my God can bring me through because his track record is well established in my life. He is the reason for my hope. He delivered me. He did it again. He did it again. And my hope is set. My hope is established on my faith that if he did it once, if he brought me through the last time, if he brought me out, he will do it again. He lifted me up. He set my feet. He established my goings. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. That's the reason I have hope. Again, don't mistake my unwillingness to declare that the sky is falling. If you want to be chicken little and run around and talk about how the sky is falling all the time, go ahead and do it. I'm just not going to get caught up in the midst of that. Here's why. Because my hope is not in any of the things you're saying. My hope is in him and him alone. Verse 8, Paul says, I didn't even know if I'd see another day. I thought death was imminent. But by verse 10, Paul is declaring that his hope is in the one who can beat back death if necessary. This idea of faith 
is bringing a confidence. It's not a new thing. It has been throughout Scripture over and over and over again. And if we can get a hold of it today, I promise, the struggles that you're facing, the trials that you're up against, you can have hope to overcome them if you get a hold of the fact that having faith in God is not a new thing. It's an established thing. It's based on the fact that what God is able to do, he has done before and he will do again. David, you're really going to go out there and face Goliath? He's the biggest dude around. Nobody else is uh, even willing to go out on the battlefield, not even your two older brothers. And David said, no, 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 just give me my sling, give me a few stones. Yeah, I'm scared, but I'm scared not in me because I know in whom I have believed. I'm walking out in the name of the God of Israel, the one I have believed, the one who delivered me from a bear, and he delivered me from a lion, and if he did it then, he'll do it again. And so he walks out on the battlefield. Shadrach, you and your buddies are going to burn in a fiery furnace. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar just stoked it up seven times hotter just to make sure that you were burned. We know, but we also know in whom we placed our hope. And if he delivers me or he doesn't, it's going to be all right either way because my hope is in him. Daniel, have you seen the size of the teeth in the lion's mouth? I know it looks bad, but I've been praying to this dude three times a day. Every day I open up my window and I pray out my window to him. And you know what? My hope is in him today. And if he delivers me or if he doesn't, I know where my hope is lying. Jesus, people are hungry. You've been preaching a long time. There is no food here. You need to send them away to get food. Oh, no, no, that's okay. We're going to feed them. What do you mean we're going to feed them? You got credit we don't know about because there's no food here except like, uh, you know, a couple of fish sandwiches from McDonald's. That's all we got. Put it in Jesus' hands and, yeah, he's got credit you don't know about. Hey, Jesus, I can't believe you're asleep in this boat. Don't you care that we're going to perish? I know it looks bad right now and the storms are rough, but I also know that I spoke the worlds into existence, and if I speak to the storm, it'll shut its mouth. And so while you're worried, I'm taking a nap. I have this shirt at home. I love it. It says, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes in the worst of circumstances, you know what? You just need to go and rest in the arms of Jesus and take yourself a nap. Because you know what? It doesn't matter how bad the storm gets. We know the God who spoke the storm into existence and knows how to shut it down too. We know him by name. They're going to kill you, Jesus. Don't you want to speak on your behalf? I know, I know they're going to kill me, but I'm not worried because I'm the incarnate word. They have no power unless I give it to them. What can they do to me that I don't allow? This is why I came. It's the reason why I'm here. And I'm going to go into the tomb, but you can base your hope on the fact that in three days I'm coming back out. And guess what's going to happen, folks? I'm going to dispense hope all over the world because I was willing to die for the people that are here. This is why I'm here. We are his church, that man's church. We overcome not by our ability to influence the political structure, nor by our loud protest or calls to Congress. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And today as the church, we ought to be the sharers of the hope that he provides. Why? Because we've seen what he can do. We've seen what he can do, and he's done it before, and he'll do it again. He made a way. There was no way. If he's done it before, he can do it again. He's the reason this morning for my hope. I know in whom I have believed. I know who holds this whole thing together. And let me just tell you, there's nothing more powerful than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because once you know, then you know. Right? There's a lot of people walking around acting like they know and they really don't know. That's back to that ignorant stuff. But once you know, you know. And see, today that's what we need. I need to know Jesus. I need that relationship with him. And once I have it, 
then I know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. Once I know in whom I have believed, then I know that he is able to do again and again and again and again. We got to know him, right? And that's where we need to go to. We need to know him. God called his church to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if we lose our saltiness, how can we bring flavor? If we lose the hope... Well, Siri, let me say that again because Siri didn't hear it. If we lose our confidence, if we lose our hope, what defines us is any different than anybody else in the world. You got to know today that God is in charge and you got to know that God's hand is at work. And you got to know today that what he has done, he's able to do again. And you got to know that if you've been through it, it's okay. God will take you through it, and he'll take you through it again. There's some things that are just established. They are settled. My hope is in him. I know that he is good. I know that he loves me. I know that he is for me. I know that he is with me. I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I know there's no place I can go to get away from him. And that wherever I am, he is there because I cannot get away from him. I know that when we gather together in his name, things happen. Why? His word tells me and I've established in his word that I know he will do it and he'll do it again. Jeremiah from captivity was reassured by the word of the Lord when he found hope in God as he declared, I know, God says, the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Paul declared it himself. It brings me hope even today when he said, we know all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. It's settled. It's secure. It's the reason for my hope. We know that all things, whatever it is, and I know right now in this room, a group this size, there's stuff that people are facing. There are things that you are going through. There are mountains that you're staring at that you think there is no way possible we will ever get out of this. I know. But I also know that God works in ways I cannot comprehend or understand. And when the things seem at their worst, God is doing his best work. And if we'll tap into the presence of God and put our trust and hope in him, anything can happen. If we'll put our faith in him. And so today I will glorify him on the battlefield. I will serve him in a lion's den. I will glorify him in a furnace or in a ship, in a storm, in a cafeteria line with no food. Before kings or prisons, I will declare it boldly and unashamedly. Jesus Christ is the reason for my hope. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow my foot to be moved. He who keeps me will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from the t- this time forth and for even forevermore. Struggles are real. Troubles are real. They come. Of that you can be sure. But you can also be assured that your help comes from the Lord. The same God who made heaven and earth, he is your help through the storm. He will not even allow your foot to slip if you plan it on him. He doesn't even take a nap. I know he took one in a boat. But other than that time, he doesn't even sleep or slumber. 
You can't even be burnt by the sun or the moon because he is your shade. He preserves you. He establishes you. He will protect you. He is the reason for my hope. Paul, at the end of his life, he writes to his protege, Timothy, and he suffered a lot. I mean, he's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been stoned. He, he's been in prison. He's been snake bit. He's been shipwrecked. You just go through the list of all of Paul's stuff. I mean, they, they left him literally to die so many times. You would have thought this guy was like, you know, one of those living dead people because he just kept coming back. He'd been through it all. And this is at the end of his life. Second Timothy chapter 1. He, just prior, he's telling Timothy how he carried the gospel around the world and went through all this stuff. And he says, for this reason, me carrying the gospel, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Timothy, I know if you look at me, I'm broken down. I got whelps and scars all over me. But I'm not ashamed. Because I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that even though right now I'm probably headed to the chopping block, and I'm probably going to die soon, I'm committed to the fact that God will com commit that thing that I've given to him up against that day. If our musicians would come, some of you are here today, and you understand kind of what Paul feels like. No, you hadn't been beaten. No, you hadn't been stoned. But you got scars, scars that are deep, wounds that inflicted on you, maybe by somebody else, maybe stuff you brought on yourself. It doesn't really matter. The truth of the matter is we all got stuff, right? We all got scars. We all got wounds, things that have happened to us. And the reality is this. We can carry those in our body and we can carry those in our spirit and we can walk in this sense of being completely beaten down the rest of our life or we can have hope because if God brought you to this point he brought you through the scar he brought you through the trauma he brought you through the stuff he got you to here he's not going to leave you now he's not going to drop you by the side of the road just because you uh, had a tough time getting to this point it took everything you, some of you had to get in here this morning at 11 o'clock. Some of you, it, it, was, it was traumatic for you to even have to come to church today. You went through something to get here. But when you go through things, it just reveals that my hope is in Jesus. It's not in my own self. And i got to get to where his presence is so that I can experience him. Some of you here today, you're facing some stuff. You got troubles, struggles. You're seeing the craziness of the world, suffering through some things. Maybe you got a negative report from the doctors, negative report from the bank. Maybe it's a negative report from the mechanic, a negative report on the news, negative reports everywhere. But today, no matter what the reports say, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have hope. I know that the reports are negative that you're struggling. I know some of you may even be brokenhearted this morning. I love the fact that Jesus said he came to bind up the brokenhearted. You may be sitting here and you may feel like, I don't have enough to go on another day. But I know in whom I have believed. And I know that his mission was to bind up the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those that were captive and to bring healing to those that were sick and to touch those that were hurting and I know that he delivered me then and he's delivering me now and he will deliver me again my hope is established on the fact that he will do it again and again and again 
Some of you need to call back to remembrance the many times that God has come through for you. And maybe I said this in the first service, maybe you're staring at a mountain that you've never been through before. The Bible says that if we speak to the mountain, it can be removed, but sometimes we're looking at stuff that, man, I don't have a basis for faith because I've never been through this before. How many of you would lift your hand and say, you know what, I've seen God move mountains in my life. Now, if you've never seen one, I want you to look around. Every hand lifted toward heaven is evidence that he is able today to move mountains if we'll surrender them to him. I want you to have faith today, and if you can't have it on your own based on your own experiences, have it based on some of your brothers' and sisters' experiences, because I want you to have hope today. And the reality is this, I've seen him move mountains. Oh, I haven't physically seen him pick up Skyline Drive and move it to West Virginia, but I've seen him move mountains, mountains of debt, mountains of trouble, mountains of problems that were bigger than what I could face on my own, mountains in the middle of relationships that seemed like they were going to be destined to fall apart, but he moved the mountains so the relationship could be put back together. What's your mountain today? I've seen him move. And if I can trust in him and I have hope in him, guess what? He can move your mountain too. Because that which he has done before, he's well able to do again. Paul said, I've been through a mountain load of persecution and trouble. But he delivered me then and he'll deliver me again. What is it that you're going through today? I promise you, we serve a God who's able and I can put my hope in him. They're getting ready to sing this song and I asked them to start at a specific point in the song where the writer of the song just spoke my heart this week. He says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. This is my hope that you've never failed. I want you to understand today, you serve a God who cannot fail. That is the basis for my hope. That is what I believe in. My God will never fail. That's where my confidence comes from. That's where my hope comes from. I may not know how, but I know he's working on my behalf and he will not fail. If you'd all stand with me all over this house. We're going to sing this in just a moment as a declaration to God. We're going to let it build some faith in us today. Before we do, I just want to take a moment and pray. If you're in this house today and you've heard me talk about this relationship with God, and maybe you don't have that, I want you to know today you can leave here with an established relationship in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that we are in your house on this day. And I thank you, God, for the people of God that have come out to celebrate you and to honor you with their, their, their presence and their life. I pray today over this house, God, that we would recognize you are great, you are mighty, you are wondrous. You are able today to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. And whether I was on the battlefield with David or in a fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children or in a pit 
with full of lions with Daniel or on, a, on the side of a mountain where there were hungry people or in a boat where the storm was raging. You've always shown yourself strong when people were willing to trust in you. And today, God, we're putting our hope in you. We're putting our trust in you. We know you will come through once again. We've seen you do it, and we know you're able to do it again. We've seen you move mountains. We know you're able to do it again. We've seen you work in our lives. We've seen you shut down storms. We've seen you raise up standards against the enemy. And we ask you to do it one more time, God. We trust in you today in the name of Jesus. And we depend upon you, oh God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.
right now before we're dismissed I want to challenge somebody to make a bold declaration in Christ today I'm not naive enough to think that there are no problems in the house I know that there's real stuff that you're facing real things that seem overwhelming real trouble real struggles but I'm asking you today in faith to make some bold declarations with me if you would acknowledge that there's some things you need to declare God's ability over. Would you just lift up your hand? I can't see you anyway. All I can see is lights, so you don't have to worry about whether I know or not. Now, I'm going to ask you to just challenge you. You got one hand up. Would you be so willing to slip up the other one with me right now? And I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Is that all right? I'm going to ask you to boldly declare some things in the Spirit today that you're believing God for. Will you do it with me? Father, I've seen you move. I've seen you move mountains. And I believe that you'll do it again. The reason I believe is because I have hope that what you've done, you'll do again. You are for me. You are with me. You will never leave me. I'm so thankful to have a relationship with you that you are forever for me and that throughout eternity from eternity to now you have been reaching for me you have been drawing me you have been searching for me and today I declare that I surrender my struggles my problems my addictions my hopelessness to you and today I have hope. I have hope in you that you will do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or even imagine. And because I do, I will see it done in the name of Jesus. Let's worship him all over this house right now. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you.